This is lesson number five, the gift of tongues. Uh, And lesson five is the continuation in our third part, third and final part of five, five bad doctrines debunked. Five bad tongues doctrines debunked. We've covered the four previous ones. And so the first one was tongues is done away with. And we proved that from the scriptures. The Bible never says that. And all sound doctrine is built by the voice of two or three witnesses. That is verses. And the more verses you have to build a doctrine, the more sound your doctrine is. It's very dangerous to build a doctrine on only one verse. It's even worse and totally fatal to build a doctrine without a verse at all to just build it on a premise or a, uh, used to be or a has been or a, what you used to hear. We have to build our doctrine on the scriptures. With over 100 verses dealing with the gift of tongues and all of its various forms, we have plenty of scriptures to build a, an adequate doctrine. Not a single scripture on tongues says it's been done away with. So we debunk that one. Number two is tongues is of the devil. We've all heard that. And we easily debunk that because throughout the entire Bible, which is of course how we build our doctrine, throughout the entire Bible, it is not a demon spirit ever blamed for tongues. Oddly enough, it's always the Holy Spirit that gets blamed for the gift of tongues. So that one was easy to shoot holes in. Our third doctrine, let's see, what was the third one? The third one was that if we have, uh, if we have tongues, there has to be an interpreter. Otherwise, we're totally out of order. And I totally agree that there are times you have to have an interpretation for tongues, but we see from the Bible, and again, we have to have both sides to every doctrine. Actually, to build sound doctrine, it's like a a beautiful uh, cut and polished diamond. There are many facets to every doctrine, and so the more scriptures we have, the more beautiful a doctrine, the more beautiful a diamond we can build. And so we do need an interpretation for tongues when that tongues is for the edification and the exhortation of the local congregation, but we see more, actually, truthfully, we don't see a single demonstration or a single example of the interpretation of tongues throughout the entire book of Acts. That does not diminish the fact that we must have an interpretation when necessary. It just goes to show you that Paul didn't contradict himself. There are many times, or every time tongues happens in the book of Acts, you never see an interpretation. And the men that are seeing the manifestation of tongues take place are the very apostles themselves that establish these doctrines. And so if they did not demand an interpretation, they would have been hypocrites. So it lets us know there's something else going on there. And very clearly we begin to, using scripture, we begin to see there's more than just one facet to tongues. There's certainly a tongues that requires the interpretation and you should, otherwise what's the point of it? And there's tongues that's for the personal edification of the believer that will never have an interpretation. There's tongues that's sung and the interpretation is singing. There's tongues that is prayed out and the interpretation is a sermon. And so we easily debunk that one. Let's see, what was the fourth one? It'll come to me. Let's jump into our fifth doctrine right now, the fifth bad doctrine that we commonly hear, and that is uh, tongues aren't for everyone, Uh, also known as God hasn't given me that spiritual gift. So this is our fifth and final bad doctrine on the gift of tongues. Tongues aren't for everyone, also known as I just, God hasn't given me that gift yet. He hasn't seen fit to give me that spiritual gift. All right, so let's see what our curriculum has to say here. This fifth and final doctrine is based on both scripture and experience. Now remember, in building doctrine, it's very dangerous to build doctrine on on experience alone. It's perfectly acceptable to judge your experience in light of the scriptures. 
but we don't build doctrine on experience alone. This scripture, this doctrine says, well, I haven't received tongues yet, so God doesn't want me to have it. Well, that's like saying, my brother hasn't gotten saved yet, so God doesn't want him to go to heaven. We would never base someone's eternal security or the promise of God for salvation to all based on the fact of whether or not someone's been born again or not, not at all. Because we know that we know that we know that God wants everybody born again. And if someone never gets born again, it's not God's failed will, will, it's that person's failed will to receive Christ, right? Right. So this doctrine here, the people that hold it, they base it both on scripture. They can see in the scripture, tongues is for real, tongues is for today, tongues is critical. They see it around them, but they haven't experienced it yet in their life. And so they just assume, well, God hasn't given me that gift yet or, or tongues aren't for everyone. I believe in tongues. I've seen tongues. I see it in the scriptures, but they just aren't for everyone. And sometimes that's used as a balm to explain why they don't have it. Uh, but see, that's, in light of what we're studying, that's as foolish as saying, well, um, I, uh, abstinence isn't for everyone. Now, I know the Bible teaches abstinence, but abstinence isn't for everyone because I don't have it working in my life. <laughs> no, that's, that's, you wouldn't, you wouldn't see, teach that doctrine, but that doctrine might be based on both the Bible. I see that abstinence, that is the, the abstaining of fornication, it's taught, it's critical, but I don't have abstinence working in my life. Therefore, to excuse me from the standard of the Bible, I could make up a new pseudo doctrine and say, well, I see abstinence is biblical. I see it's for today, but I don't believe it's for everybody. I don't believe it's for me. No, there's just an issue there between you and God that you've got to get resolved. Generally, those holding this doctrinal stance concerning tongues aren't being for everyone have a great heart and a great hunger for God. They're comfortable around tongues, having been around it in services or even prayer meetings. Many of these folks have sought for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but haven't received it. Therefore, they default to the it must not be for me doctrinal posture. And again, that's based on experience. Years ago, I was teaching a denominational Sunday school and I actually taught on faith and just teaching about some of the testimonies of God doing stuff in my life and how we don't give up uh, just because our prayers aren't answered overnight. But part of faith is laboring. We pray and cease not and we knock and keep knocking. And after the, the Sunday school, it was a college and career Sunday school I was a guest at, one of the gentlemen came to me. He said, you speak in tongues, don't you? This was a non-tongue talking church. I said, How, what makes you say that? He said, because I have tongue-talking friends and they preach and teach and know the scriptures with the authority that someone like you does. You, you sound just like them. You've got to speak in tongues. I said, well, I, I am spirit-filled and I pray in tongues. And he said, uh, would you pray for me to receive it? And I said, well, okay. So we moved over. This, this, this college and career, he had a lot of couches. So we moved, I was actually leaning up against a pool table. I taught Sunday school leaning up against a pool table. And so then there was a couch over here. So we moved over to this couch and he sat down and I asked him, I said, do you believe tongues is for today? Absolutely. I said, do you believe uh, God is still manifesting the gift of tongues through the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Absolutely. I can see it in the Bible. I said, do you believe beyond a shadow of a doubt when I lay hands on you and pray for you, you're going to receive it? He said, I, I'm not so sure. And I said, well, then I tell you what, I'm not going to pray for you to receive it because you're not ready yet, but I am going to pray for you. And, and the scripture that the Lord was stirring in my heart 
when I was about to just jump on this guy and pray for him was uh, lay hands suddenly on no man. So we're not hasty to lay hands on anybody. We're not hasty to prophesy over anybody. We got to feel him out. The proverb says, he that answers a matter before he hears it's a fool. And furthermore, I would be pushing or selling grapefruit in a denomination that believes grapefruit don't exist anymore. So I'd kind of be out of order in that regard. And I didn't understand all that. That was years ago. I hadn't developed a lot of church ethics or ministry protocol for honor in in other denominations and their administrations. So I said, all right, I'm just gonna pray for you that God would continue to speak to you and God would continue to show you the scriptures. And one of these days, your little buzzer's gonna go off, ping, and you're gonna be ready and you're gonna receive it. He said, all right, great. So I, I remember laying hands on him and as soon as I touched his head, my head started swimming uh, the anointing of God was present and none of it went into him. It, it was literally like throwing racquetballs up against the wall and dodging them coming back. And I, I realized if I had prayed for him to receive it and he had not received it, it would have only further enhanced his doctrinal stance that maybe tongues isn't for me. And so just by being a little slow and not so hasty, I didn't tell him I was gonna pray for him to receive it. I just prayed for him to receive more illumination from God. I prayed that the Holy Spirit would show him more scriptures, that his friends would be able to teach him and faith would be built. Because honestly, just by praying that thing over him, man, it was like Brother Hagin used to say, it was like uh, empty hands on empty heads, except his head was maybe not empty, it was just a brick wall. He just didn't know how to receive. And so if I, had, uh, if I had hastened to try to hurry up and get him to get it, he would have definitely walked away thinking, well, that tongue talker prayed for me, but I didn't get it. Maybe it's not for me. It's really a shame to think about even in our lives, sometimes our doctrine is wavered by what we experience rather than being built upon the unchanging word of God. I am all for walking through life and judging and experimenting every experience of life from the scriptures and trying to see what scripture we missed or what scripture we omitted to cause a catastrophe or what scripture we chained together to cause a success. But we don't base doctrine on experiences. We base our doctrine on the word of God. All right, many have sought for the baptism of the Holy Spirit but haven't received it. Therefore, they default to the it must not be for me doctrinal posture. So that's the bad doctrine we're debunking. So the scriptural basis for this bad doctrine, and thank God it's based on the Bible, but it's only covering one or two facets of a 52 facet doctrine. Your typical diamond, the the round cut, the, the brilliant cut diamond has anywhere between 49 and 52 facets on it. So that's why we say 52 facets of a doctrine. So this doctrine is based on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 11 and 30. But all these worketh the one and selfsame spirit dividing to every man severally as he will. Well, right there, we understand you can't turn the gifts of the Spirit on or off. The Holy Spirit manifests his gifts as he wills, not as we will. So there's one doctrinal, one scripture to base this thing on. Second basis, have all the gifts of healing, an implied no. Do all speak with tongues, an implied no in this instance. Do all interpret, an implied no. And that's, that's where they're basing this. But we understand these are talking about a separate assortment of the gifts of the Spirit. The nine gifts of the Spirit are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we understand that we can't turn those on or off. We can't turn healing on or off. We can't turn discerning of spirits on or off. If you see an angel, you just see an angel, but thank God we don't see him every day. I'm a little weary and leery of those that do see angels every day. It happens as God wills. 
And so what we're having to do is understand all the different facets of the gift of tongues. Because Paul said, I would that you all spoke in tongues. Or we could say in the modern English, I want you to all speak in tongues. Forbid not to speak in tongues. Howbeit when everyone comes together, every one of you hath a tongue, hath an interpretation. So he said even there, when all of you come together, everyone has a tongue. So verse 11 indicates the gifts of the Spirit cannot be turned on or off at a believer's will. Absolutely. They only operate as the Lord wills. Likewise, in a church service, not everyone will have a tongue, nor will everyone have the interpretation, just as the Lord will not use everyone in a service in the gifts of healing. I think we understand that. Not everyone's going to see a discerning of spirit. Not everyone's going to have the gift of prophecy. Not everybody's going to have a, a working of miracles. These work as the Lord wills and as the Spirit of God moves. This doctrine is faulty for the following reasons. These verses refer to the gifts of the Spirit and not the personal baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And this is a point we're going to drive home over and over and over again. And in the next set of lessons, or lessons six, seven, and eight, we're really going to spell that out very clearly. There is a difference between the nine gifts of the Spirit that manifest on people as God wills and the gift of the Holy Ghost that Peter described in Acts chapter 2, verses 38. He said, and you shall receive the promise of the Father, the gift of the Holy Ghost. There's two separate workings of the Spirit of God. Quite honestly, you don't even have to be Spirit-filled to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Now, some believe that you do, but you see seven of the nine gifts of the Spirit operating in the Old Testament. The two you don't see operating in the Old Testament are tongues and interpretation of tongues. But all of the other seven gifts of the Spirit, working of miracles, gifts of healings, and uh, prophecy, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits, all of those operated in the Old Testament. How many people under the Old Testament were born again? Zero. How many of those born again, uh, excuse me, not born again people under the Old Testament were spirit filled like we are? Zero. Even a donkey was used in about five of the gifts of the spirit. He operated in discerning of spirits. Balaam's donkey did. He saw the angel. He operated in the word of knowledge. He said, have I not always served you? He operated in prophecy. Look, come on now. Haven't I always been faithful to you? And he operated in tongues and interpretation of tongues. You know, donkeys don't exactly speak Hebrew. And so here this donkey, not only speaking in tongues, he's interpreting his own tongues. And so I make light of all that just to show you we don't have to be so superstitious or religious about the gifts of the Spirit. They're two separate workings. Thank God we have them. We're going to discover that and study that more out in the services ahead. Uh, this doctrine is faulty for the following reasons. It assumes there's only one kind of tongues. And we've seen, especially in last service, that there's clearly more than one. There's the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and then there's the gift of tongues for the edification of the local body. We must look at all of the verses concerning tongues in order to build the best doctrine concerning the supernatural gift and its use in the private life of the believer and in the public setting of a local church. There's the other distinction we're going to make over and over again. There's tongues for the private life of the believer and there's tongues for the edification of the public service. And generally speaking, in private, you don't need the interpretation, though you could pray for it if you wanted to. And publicly, if you're going to address the whole congregation, you must interpret that. Otherwise, what's the point? Well, then the argument will always be made, well, what about you, pastor? What about the preacher who's praying in tongues, but he's mic'd? Well, it would be the same as me just praying to the Lord under my voice and you overhearing it. 
And I do both. I pray both in English and I pray both in tongues. And quite honestly, some of the stuff I'm praying to the Lord in English is just as private as some of the stuff in tongues. It just so happens that it's mic'd and so everybody gets to hear it. There are times in prayer lines, though, I do turn the mic off to pray something in English that needs to be kept between the Lord and whoever we're praying for. And so I guess the argument can be made, well, should we have better microphone etiquette? I think if we understand the scriptures, we don't need microphone etiquette in this arena. All right, so let's look at some contradictory scriptures. Let's look at some scriptures that contradict this doctrinal stance that says, well, uh, tongues aren't for everyone. I believe in tongues. I've seen tongues. I've seen the interpretation of tongues, but I sought it. I don't have it. So I'm kind of of the belief that tongues aren't for everyone. Let's look at some scriptures that contradict this because we build doctrine based upon the Bible, not personal experience. For that matter, I've never seen Jesus, but I still believe in him. <laughs> Amen. Consider the following scriptures and the pattern they build for us as a counter for the, quote, tongues isn't for everyone doctrine. All right, we're going to run through a bunch of these. Acts 2, 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all, that's 120, with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And they appeared unto them, cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues, other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Notice the terms, I've underlined them there. All, all the house, them, them, and they were all, all right? So consider this, 120 people in an upper room, that means kind of like a patio, an upper deck, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they all spoke with tongues. At the first demonstration of tongues in the Bible, everyone present receives the Holy Ghost and everyone present speaks in tongues. 120 out of 120 people spoke in tongues, okay? That's a 100% tongues rate. No one in the upper room could say, I guess tongues just isn't for me. I guess it's just not my spiritual gift, all right? So there's an example. Now, we can't build doctrine just on one passage. So let's see if we can find this pattern repeated two, three, maybe four times. And if we can replicate this three or four times, we can definitely shoot holes in this doctrine that says, well, tongues aren't for everyone. I guess it's just not my spiritual gift. As a side note, for about 30 seconds, let me say, I, me personally, I strongly lean against the spiritual gift tests. You know, you've got seven gifts of the Father, five gifts of the Son, nine gifts of the Spirit. And they have all sorts of pseudo-psychological tests you can take to analyze what your spiritual gift is. The problem is, are we talking about the seven gifts of the Father, Romans 12, the five gifts of the Son, Ephesians 4, the nine gifts of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Furthermore, the seven gifts of the Father in 1 Corinthians, Romans chapter 12, you also find more gifts of the Father in Peter, but it's not necessarily talking about gifts, it's talking about graces distributed. But that's a whole nother subject of lessons altogether. Stay away from the psychological spiritual gift test because they manifest as he wills, not as psychology deposes. All right. Acts chapter 10. And the morrow, after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and he called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many that were come together. And while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them 
which heard the word, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Acts 10, 24, 27, 44, and 46. Here is the household of Cornelius. He has, he's a devout and holy man, but he's not born again. He's a le- chief leader of the synagogue. He makes alms and offerings to God. An angel appears to him. And, and the Lord, the angel says, your alms and your prayers have come up as a memorial before God. Well, this shoots holes in that bad doctrine that says God doesn't hear the prayer of the sinner. This guy hadn't even been born again yet, and God very well heard his prayers. Furthermore, you go to the Old Testament. How many folks in the Old Testament were born again? None. How many of them were sinners? All of them. Did God hear their prayers? What about Rahab the harlot? Absolutely. God hears the prayers of everybody. The question is, does he honor them? The Lord honored the prayers of Cornelius. And he guts and calls Peter and Peter comes and as they're talking and walking and walking and talking, Peter walks into Cornelius' household and he's called together his whole household. He was a rich man and his friends and his family. So who knows? I don't know, maybe a hundred people, maybe 200 people. We really don't know. We just know it's a lot of people. And as Peter preaches the gospel, the Holy Ghost falls on them and they begin to speak in tongues and magnify God. At the first demonstration of Gentile salvation, Everyone present receives the Holy Ghost and everyone present speaks in tongues. Out of this large gathering, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. That doesn't leave anybody out but a deaf mute. And there's no evidence there are any deaf mutes there. So that means everybody there who heard got the Holy Ghost. The Bible's very clear. And they all spoke with tongues. That's a 100% tongues rate which means no, no one in Cornelius' household or circle of friends could say, I guess tongues just isn't for me. I guess it's just not my spiritual gift, all right? Two examples, Acts 2, now Acts 10. Both of them, not a, not a person in those services could walk out saying, I guess tongues aren't for me. I guess it just isn't my spiritual gift. Well, what other gifts were given that day? We don't see working of, hero, he, uh, working of miracles or gifts of healing. We, we see some prophecy, but we don't see discerning of spirits. Uh, is, this, is, this, is that the only gift that gets given out? So really, there's a lot of pseudo-doctrine out there in pseudo-spirit-filled circles, and we need to study the scriptures very closely to understand what's going on. Another example, Acts 19, 1 through 7. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? Now, it's a big group of disciples here. And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Until then, what were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, who's the them? The them is all the disciples that he found. When Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied and all the men were about 12. So I like to call this the Ephesian revival, 12 guys. To me, it's such a beautiful example about how uh, even the great apostle Paul had no problem stopping his entourage and ministering to a, a circle of 12 men. That really says a lot about how far we've gotten in this, this superstar day when a lot of these preachers won't show up unless there's 6,000 people, $60,000 cash waiting for them and a green room full of Perrier water. That's ridiculous. The great apostle Paul would probably go out back and bruise them severely for being such hirelings and such prima donnas. 
Here he stops for 12 men. We don't know. Uh, it says 12 men. All the men were about 12. And maybe that doesn't include women. Maybe there are some women there. We don't know. But at least 12. And he lays hands on all of them. And the Holy Ghost comes on all of them. And they all speak with tongues. Well, at this small Ephesian disciples retreat, Paul preaches the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Having found disciples, he quickly assesses that what they lack is the Holy Ghost. After he water baptizes them, he lays his hands upon them and the Holy Ghost comes upon all of them and all of them spoke in tongues. 12 out of 12 men spoke in tongues. That is a 100% tongues rate. No one at this impromptu discipleship conference could walk away saying, I guess tongues just isn't for me. I guess it just isn't my spiritual gift. <laughs> you see the pattern here. We got three patterns repeating itself. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is established. All who seek, here's the pattern that arises. All who seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit get it, and they all speak with tongues. Furthermore, Paul also taught the following, 1 Corinthians 14, 5. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. I believe that's the New King James Version. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. This is what Paul taught in Romans 8. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Or that is groanings in inarticulate speech. Uh, Paul was just assuming everybody in Romans was praying in the Holy Ghost. Everyone in the Roman church was baptized in the Holy Ghost. He was talking about how the Holy Ghost intercedes for us uh, through an inarticulate speech, a, a groaning, an intercession, an inner travail. Jude 20, uh, Jude taught this, but you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. So there another example. We're seeing this over and over again. These are verses that shoot holes in this doctrine. I guess tongues just isn't for everybody. I guess it's, not, it's just not my spiritual gift. Well, Jude assumed everybody had it because he said he commanded them and he said, pray in the Holy Ghost, build yourself up. Well, what do you think it means to pray in the Holy Ghost? If, if as some teach, it just means praying in English or Spanish or whatever your native tongue is, well, how do you know when the Holy Ghost is in it and when it isn't? There's got to be some kind of delimiter, some kind of indicator. I am now in Holy Ghost mode. And I understand there's a sense when you're prophesying and that makes your known language a little bit different than just talking about football. But he says pray in the Holy Ghost. He doesn't say prophesy. He says pray in the Holy Ghost. Paul taught that he wanted all of his churches to speak with tongues. This would allow the Holy Spirit to make intercession for them and also build them up. Why wouldn't God give this gift to everybody? Just a hypothetical question. So here's some critical observations I make with this doctrine. And I've dealt with this doctrine since I was 19 years old and baptized in the Holy Ghost among uh, a vineyard church in Knoxville, March of 96, on my spring break. I was actually supposed to take a road trip to Seattle, Washington. I don't know what kind of knuckle-headed 19-year-old thinks he can drive 3,000 miles to Seattle and 3,000 miles back in nine days. But I was aiming to do it. The trip fell through. We were gonna take a little black Isuzu pickup truck and... Uh, well, we just, we just didn't go. And that, that spring break, I actually went with Will Hutchinson's mama and him to his mama's church there in Knoxville. And at the end of service, she said, you want them to pray for you? And I said, I don't know. And we waited and I couldn't go anywhere. And I was him hauling around. It's like jumping off the cliff into the lake. You know you want to do it, but somebody just needs to push you. 
So Miss Harriet grabbed me by the hand and drug me down front and basically just left me and abandoned me in this, uh, this altar area. And about 10 or 15 folks descended upon me and I got spirit-filled, spoken tongues. Fell. Actually, I fell forward. Nobody taught me the proper way to fall. And uh, the power of God struck me and I fell forward. And thank God it was like a Holy Ghost mosh pit around me of people praying for me. They caught me as I fell forward and they laid me backwards. And I probably laid on the floor for 45 minutes to an hour just praying in tongues. Little Baptist kid, 19 years old. So this fifth doctrine, I've been dealing with this doctrine since I got spirit filled in March of 96. Critical observations, not surprisingly, Churches and denominations that hold any of these five doctrines concerning the gift of tongues generally don't see tongues in their church at all. Funny, if you believe it, you receive it. If you doubt it, you go without it. (laughs) I just coined that, by the way, I like that. If you believe it, you receive it. That point I didn't. But if you doubt it, you go without it. That, That I just made up. That's just how it works, you know? If you believe in water baptism, you're gonna see it in your church. If you believe in salvation, you're gonna see it in your church. If you believe holiness is necessary, you're gonna see it in your church. If you believe the gifts of the Spirit are for today, you're gonna see them in your church. If you doubt any of that, you're not gonna emphasize it. You won't have it because you can have what you preach and you will. And so churches that hold any of these five doctrines typically don't see tongues at all. They might once in a blue moon, and that's what they cling to when they say we're a spirit-filled church. What do you mean? Well, we had a tongues once. Uh, that's, that, was in the, that was in June of uh, what, 2001. All right, great. Well, this is 15 years later. Have you had tongues lately? Observation number two, churches that don't hold these five doctrines see tongues on a regular basis in their services and private lives. Oh, so churches that believe these scriptures and believe this beautiful diamond called the gift of tongues, they actually get to prosper. Proverbs says the gift and a man's hand is like a diamond or a beautiful gem. It prospers everywhere he turns it. Uh, You believe this thing, you get to have a hold of it and it prospers everywhere you turn and look. Praise God. Third observation, of the nine gifts of the Spirit, more scripture is spent elaborating and establishing tongues, 110 verses. The second closest gift is prophecy with 19 verses in the New Testament dedicated to it. Think about that. This gift of tongues has 110 verses dedicated to the extrapolation and the interpolation and the explanation of its manifestation. The next closest gift explained is prophecy with 19. With so many more verses, Christians should certainly study this doctrine a little more closely. Now, there's a lot of verses on healing and the gifts of healing and miracles. I'm not including or counting those because it just talks about Jesus healed them, Jesus healed that. But those are verses of of demonstration and verses of, of example and not so much verses of doctrinal explanation. But we see prophecy, 19 verses, tongues, 110. So let's look now with the time we have remaining at a biblical, a basic biblical doctrine of tongues. So with the previous lessons in mind, here's a basic rundown of the doctrine of tongues for the New Testament believer. So with everything we've studied, this being the fifth lesson, here's a brief summary. Number one, tongues are for today. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. I always like to be a little antagonistic. Uh, We get the word antagonistic or antagonize from the Greek word, which means antagonize. The Greek word is antagonize, uh, to provoke, to to cause people to think. Uh, 
And when folks say, well, you know, tongues have been done away with. It's not for today. I usually say, well, Oh, that's funny. That sounds like that's still happening. In fact, that just happened just then. That just happened still for today. <laughs> Number two, tongues are for every believer. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, up until probably, oh, I don't know, probably pastoring. So within the last seven years, up until the last seven years, I've been, been spirit-filled since 96. So what is that? That's going on uh, 19 years, uh, no, 18 years. So up until the last seven years, that means for the 11 years I was spirit-filled, the first 11 years, every person I laid hands on got spirit-filled and spoke in tongues. And then I became pastor, and it's like it was kind of hit and miss. I'd pray for folks, they didn't instantly get it anymore. And maybe that's just part of pastoring. You just have to nurture people along. But there for 11 years, uh, dozens and dozens, if not scores of people I would pray for to get spirit-filled, every one of them, without fail, would get spirit-filled. Thank God, and the folks that I have prayed for as pastor that didn't get it, I think nearly every one of them now has it and has prayed in tongues and does pray in tongues on a regular basis. Tongues are for today. I love going to Africa because more people pray in tongues than don't. They just get it. Here in America, we're so educated and so intellectual, we, we have reasoned out the supernatural, and now we no longer have it because we don't need it. We're educated now because don't you know how many wise people are called? Oh, wait, Paul said, not many wise. <laughs> there are three divisions of tongues. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse one, there are tongues of men. So we can expect some tongues to sound like natural or to be natural earth languages. There are tongues of angels. So we can expect some tongues that no man on the earth, no linguist could ever understand because they're angelic, they're heavenly tongues. Who knows what the angels speak like, but apparently they're multi-bilingual, trilingual, infinite lingual. But Paul's very clear, 1 Corinthians 13, 1, tongues of men, tongues of angels. And then there's a third division of tongues called moanings and groanings and travailings. Inarticulate speech, Romans 8, 26, Galatians 4, 19, we see examples of inner travailings, which would be a, a moving of tongues, a moving of the spirit of God groaning. Uh, I've, I think anybody who's spirit-filled has probably experienced those days where they just almost have a growl or a guttural in their spirit. The Bible says of Jesus, he groaned within himself. Paul was groaning within himself when he saw all of Athens wholly given over to idolatry. Number, another observation, another biblical doctrinal point of tongues, there are two facets to tongues. Three divisions, I call them, and two facets. Tongues are for the edification and intercession for the individual believer. That is the first facet. That's the baptism of the Holy Ghost, praying and interceding for yourself, edifying. And then there's tongues for the edification of the local body and for the local church service. This manifestation of tongues must, must, must be interpreted in order for the church to receive edification. Now, if the tongues goes without interpretation, it's not blasphemy. It's just out of order just like children running in a service is out of order, just like the, the worship singer with an attitude or with pride is totally out of order, just like the preacher telling a story he shouldn't have shared or, mis, or, or going, preaching the wrong sermon is out of order. It's not the end of the world. It's just something we've got to harness. Again, a lot of folks get hung up where if there's no tongues, it's out of order. If there's no tongues, it's out of order. Do you not realize you sitting there with a bad attitude is totally out of order? 
Don't you realize you sitting there smacking your gum is out of order? Don't you realize your Jezebel of a, of a wife running her mouth while the preacher's preaching is out of order? Don't you understand the deacons trying to take over the church is out of order? Don't you understand all this stuff is out of order? And yet nobody makes a big deal out of all that because that's acceptable American culture. It's just not biblically acceptable. So tongues for the edification of the local body and the local service must, must, must be interpreted. It must be. Otherwise, there's, it's, it's fruitless. But if it isn't, if, if somebody misses it or if somebody gives a tongue and there's no one to interpret, it's not the end of the world. It's just like the band missing their notes. It's like, you know, we've been in church long enough to see our own worship team strike up the wrong tempo and just have to reboot. Well, not the end of the world. They're just out of order. You know, the keys are going one direction. The guitar is going another direction. And, and the poor drummer guy, he's got the wrong uh, click track going. And so it's way too fast. And the horns are doing Mach 9. And everybody's going, holy cow, this is chaos. And we just say, stop, stop, stop. Let's reboot. I really marvel at how if there's no interpretation sometimes, some Christians act like the F-bomb was just dropped. And it just shows biblical ignorance, doctrinal ignorance. All right, those are your two facets to tongues. Uh, our, our, another point, a doctrinal point, tongues accomplishes eight works in the life of a believer. And we have a whole lesson. Lesson number eight is dedicated to the eight things tongues accomplishes in the life of the believer. So furthermore, further, more than just edification and intercession on your behalf, there's eight major workings tongues accomplishes based on the New Testament. Again, if we have 110 verses on any doctrine, we can have a beautiful picture. There'll always be unknowns to every doctrine because the best we can ever know is a part. But I'd like that part that we do know to be as big as possible and the part that we don't know to be as small as possible. So what are those eight things that we'll cover in the future lesson? Number one, uh, one of the eight, first of the eight things that tongues accomplishes is you can declare God's wonderful works. Sometimes praying in tongues, speaking in tongues simply declares God's wonderful works. Number two, and we have Bible verses for all these. None of them are made up or experiential. They're all biblically based. Number two, self-intercession. Sometimes praying in tongues is just self-intercession. Number three, speaking mysteries, those unspoken things. This is such a critical one. The, the analogy I've always seen, in fact, the Lord showed this to me back in October of 2002 when I was overseeing drilling for the Federal Highways Administration for the closing or the final sector of the Natchez Trace Parkway in Natchez, Mississippi. That's how keen this revelation is to me. I could even tell you the hillside I was standing on while the drillers were drilling and I was working out this doctrine and preaching to myself in the woods. Speaking mysteries, the Greek word is mysterion, comes from the Greek word muse or muse, which is where we get like the muse, the silent person that sits in your life. The muse, the unspoken thing or mysterion, the mystery, the unspoken or the hidden agenda. I love that. Sometimes when you pray in tongues, you're praying out the hidden agenda. Well, if it's the Holy Ghost praying in tongues, whose hidden agenda is it? The devil's? No, it's God's. The Lord showed me this. Praying in tongues is like laying down railroad tracks for your destiny. You can only go as far as you know. And the best we ever know in our own knowledge is just a part. And so if we have to depend on our own knowledge to pray out our destiny and our future, we're going to be a real slow moving choo-choo train. 
But if we can pray in tongues and pray out those unspoken things that God has ordained for us from the foundation of the world, the things Paul clearly calls a mystery, if we can pray in tongues, we can lay out choo-choo train tracks years ahead of us and truly fulfill our destiny. And I was very, very mindful when I became a pastor. The Lord reminded me of, of this analogy he had given me. I always thought I'd be a missionary serving in Africa, Sierra Leone to be specific. Even sent a resume to De Beers in uh, October of uh, 99. Is that right? October 98. Got it back. We don't need you. (laughs) Thank God it was the hand of God stiff arming me. Sometimes the hand of God is on you to stiff arm you because you're heading in the wrong direction. And I thank, I'm thankful for that misery when it keeps you in the will of God. So for 10 years, I was marching in my heart and in my English prayers towards missions. But in the spirit, I am fully convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt, I was praying my choo-choo train tracks towards pastoring. And there came a day when my whole life started going choo-choo to the right And I was convinced in my mind and in my heart, I should be going to the left. And in that season, I was so thankful that I'd been praying in tongues for 10, 12 years because it kept me on track. And I wonder how many Christians who don't pray in the spirit end up destroying their lives with the best of intentions because they're limited to their own understanding and they don't know how to make intercession for themselves or to pray out this mysterion. Thank God for for the mysterion, the, the, the mysteries of God we can pray in the spirit. Number four, self-edification. Praying in tongues builds yourself up in your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Ghost, it, it just builds you up like an edifice, like a tower. Thank God for it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14 says that we can pray. Sometimes in tongues, we're praying for other people. We're making supplications and petitions for other people. When I don't know how to pray for things, when there's a burden on me, I just pray in tongues and trust the Holy Ghost to work it out. Number six, the Bible says we can sing and worship. I've sung so many songs in tongues. I could right now, if I wanted to, start singing in the spirit because it just, it just bubbles up out of me. And that's something else we can do in tongues. I remember the first time it ever happened to me, I was working at the mobile home dealership driving the box van, which is a God ugly, awful van. And I was actually eating a microwave steamed potato for a lunch, dipping it in ranch, driving it on the back roads out where Scudder used to live. And all of a sudden the spirit of God came upon me and I started singing a song in tongues that I couldn't stop singing. And I remember my mind saying, this sounds like a Jewish song. It felt like I should get a dreidel and a yarmulke out and do some kind of Russian hey-ho dance. And yet it was all in tongues and every bit of it rhymed. And then when it was done, it left me. And I just was sitting there saying, Lord, that was so wonderful. That was so beautiful. I don't even know what that was. And I don't even know how to interpret it, but thank God it was just me and the box van and nobody else or some Baptist would be demanding an interpretation. And I'd say more power to you, man, because I ain't got it. If you're that spiritual, you find the interpretation because I ain't got it. But it was just such a powerful and a beautiful demonstration of God. I, I just remember it to this day and the steamed potato sitting there in the cup holder. Uh, you know, college kids, God bless our soul. Number seven, bless. 1 Corinthians 14, 16 says you can bless with the spirit. Sometimes when you're praying in tongues, you're just blessing things. We'll cover more of that in lesson eight because we really don't understand what it means to bless something, to hearken and declare a blessing over someone and it come to pass. And the eighth thing uh, the Bible says we can do in tongues is give thanks. 
Paul said, verily you give thanks, but unless it's interpreted, how can anybody else say amen? So there's a time when you're praying in tongues and you're just giving thanks and your heart just breaks and it rejoices because in, in a heavenly language, in an earthly language, in an angelic language, you're just thanking the Lord for saving you. Like Dr. Barclay's story of casting the demon out of the African woman in the bush of Africa chained to a pole. And when, she got, when he cast the devil out of her, she instantly began to cry out in English, oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, I love you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. And the Lord reminded Dr. Barclay on the airplane, did you notice that? He said, yeah, she was praising you. He said, no, she got spirit filled. She doesn't speak English. She doesn't speak your language. That was a prayer language for her. And Dr. Barclay said, oh, Lord, I totally missed that. But then he went back and remembered what she was saying in English. She was giving the Lord thanks and declaring his wonderful works. Very thing the Bible says we can do. So why would someone not want to speak in tongues? It's power from on high. It's the ability to supernaturally pray. It is the promise of the Father. So there you have it, five bad doctrines debunked and a good solid doctrine spelled out based on 110 verses. But we're not done. Wait, there's more. We got four more lessons, I think. Yeah, four more lessons. And we'll conclude this wonderful curriculum on the gift of tongues. Father, bless this church. Bless this curriculum. Bless those that listen to this in the future. Lord, I thank you for giving us the gift of the Holy Ghost and allowing us to pray in tongues. In Jesus' name, amen.